Welcome to One Life Online. The podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church, Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon from John chapter 8 verses 12 through 38, presented by Martin Muchoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word, by His Spirit, and cause you to walk according to His will, by His grace. Freedom. Freedom is the title of my sermon. Do you know that South African song? Freedom is coming tomorrow. It's a beautiful song about people who felt they were in bondage. During COVID, the president of my country locked down the country and said no one should move past 7 p.m. And then after a month, he came to give an announcement to, to update people on these measures that he had given to, to curb the coronavirus. And uh, the day before, what was trending on Twitter was, freedom is coming tomorrow. <laughs> because people are feeling as if they have been put in a cell or in jail. And tomorrow, we shall have freedom to move out at night. Unfortunately, most of those were people who were excited about the nightlife and were missing the nightlife. Nonetheless, freedom is the title of my sermon today. That's what Jesus is talking about, among other things, in this text which we are looking at. We are told in verse 12 that Jesus spoke again. There are things that he has said before this, and there are things that he will say before this. That is why when Job finished reading verse 38, he almost felt as if he should continue, it's as if he just stopped somewhere in the middle. We saw last Sunday, Jesus, the light of the world. We, we pinned it down to him as the light of the world and the living water. And we push on from there today, where he says that I am the light of the world and the person who follows me shall not walk in darkness. It's such an extraordinary claim to make for someone to say, everyone else is in darkness and I am the only person who can give them light. Imagine such a claim. Yet that's what Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The question you want to ask is, so what? So what are the implications of that? And he tells us that he that follows him shall not walk in darkness. It's the darkness of sin. When Jesus says the person who follows me, he means the person who commits himself or herself to Jesus. The person who devotes his life or her life to him, to Christ Jesus, that person shall never walk in darkness. No longer will you have to pay electricity bills to Meme. No longer do you have to buy 
yaka, spiritually speaking, for your life. The company can go bankrupt because Jesus is the light of the world. He that follows Jesus, he says, that person shall have the light of life. And Jesus is referring to himself. He is the light of life. That life is he, Jesus. We looked at a text last Sunday. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Then I attended a life group on Tuesday, the Kansanga life group. And, and we dissected this verse, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What I didn't say last Sunday was that in those days, they would hang lamps on their knees. And then as, as, as someone walked, the lamp would give them light. Hence David's words, you are a, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Then the amazing people in the life group started thinking, oh, how does this apply to us today? And they started talking of direction. How that if you're walking at night and you don't have that light or that lamp direct guiding you, you will stumble, you will fall, you will run into a ditch. Then they started talking about guidance, how through the word of God, we receive guidance for our lives. In fact, someone even said, that since in those days they would carry some kind of a paraffin lamp or a lamp, if you're carrying it, you can't run. You have to go slowly as you take in the instructions of the king and enjoy your life with the Lord. So there's a lesson there on patience. If you talk about the light of the world, people talked about trust. And I thought this light that is directing you is only giving you sufficient light for your next steps for the very next steps that you're going to take. So the light, Jesus eliminates darkness. And then Dev, who is very evangelistic, pointed out to us that you haven't even looked at it from an evangelistic perspective. You have to take this light upon yourself. Nobody can give it to you. You have to take the light of who Christ is and appropriate it in your life and say, Jesus is the light of my life. I have made the decision that he is the light of my life. You're missing a lot by not attending a life group. It was such a blessing. We didn't want to stop discussing about him as the light of the world. And it went on and on and on. Now, all of these things I've mentioned are just byproducts. First, you must have Jesus, the light, out of whom these blessings flow. So the Pharisees listen to all of this and they connect or disconnect with the Old Testament passages about him being the light. And then they say to him, you're bearing record of yourself. You're testifying about yourself. Uh-huh. So your testimony is not true. Your testimony lacks, in the legal world, they would call it attestation. It lacks authentication. Nobody can authenticate what you are saying. Your, your testimony lacks accreditation. Remember a few months ago, there were protests in Uganda, verbal at, at least, and on social media, because some people were told that the degree course that you studied in university is expired. It is not accredited. They're telling Jesus you are not accredited by us. Your testimony lacks corroboration. And so Jesus tells them, 
Although I bear record of myself, my testimony is true. And why is it true? Because he had also said in John chapter 5, as he will say here, that John the Baptist has bore testimony of me. It is not just I alone. The Father bears witness of me. The scriptures bear witness of me. Moses talks about me. What about all those people who I have healed? What about all those people who I have set free? Go and ask them who I am. What about my disciples? What about the crowds? All these people testify that Jesus was the Messiah. Did we not see that from, for example, Matthew chapter 16? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Didn't we see that from passages such as John chapter 6? You are the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. But that said, uh, verse 14, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. How so? Because of two reasons. Because I know my descent and because I know my destination. That's what Jesus tells them. I know where I have come from, from the Father from heaven, and I know where I am going. I know where my destination is and I know where my origin is. But you people, I like the version that he read, you people, you have no idea where I came from. Put it in modern language, you have no idea. You cannot tell where I come and where I go, you cannot. Words that he spoke in verse 34 and verse 36. I come from the Father in heaven, I am going to the cross and then I am going back to the Father in heaven. But what you are doing, you are judging after the flesh. You are judging by appearance. You are judging by human standards. Their standards of judgment are worldly, they are superficial, they are carnal. And that is all they do. That is all they do all day, every day. But Jesus' purpose is to seek and to save the lost. To set free, to deliver, to save, to draw people to the Father. Now, what does Jesus mean by I judge no one in verse 15? Jesus came as a suffering servant. The king of the world, the light of the world, the living waters, the bread of life comes as a suffering servant, a babe born in a manger. That's how he came. But a time will come when Jesus returns as the reigning king. When he returns as the reigning king, he returns to judge his enemies. And you say, oh, warn to those enemies. Yes, warn to those enemies. Enemy would be the opposite of friend. Enemy here would refer to that person who hasn't trusted in Jesus unto salvation. When you read the scriptures, you always find a consistent dichotomy. It avoids trichotomies. So God is clear. It's either black or white, heaven or hell. Right or wrong, genuine or fake, false or true, hot or cold. There is no middle ground. You are either a friend of God or an enemy of God. You either belong to Satan or you belong to God. No middle ground, a dichotomy. He will come as the reigning king to judge his enemies. Right now he gives us time to trust in him. 
And the judgment that he will deliver is a righteous judgment. That's what he says in verse 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. My decisions are right. Let me ask you, have you ever been judged falsely by someone? I'm sure you have. Hence the words that are popular in our day, don't judge me. Have you ever judged someone falsely? I've done both. The second one more than the first one many times. Hey, that person, why doesn't he come to church? Oh, why is he serving in this area? Why is she going to such and such a place? Why has she been away for so long? Why is she so consistent in coming to service on Sunday? What has happened to such and such and such and such and such and such? We get it wrong a lot of times. I get it wrong a lot of times, but not Jesus. He gets it right every single time. His judgment is right. Why is it right and true? Because he is not alone, he tells us. My oneness with my Father assures right, true, just, timely, and perfect justice and judgment. He tells them, it is also written in your law, verse 17, that the testimony of two men is true, two people. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17 says, if someone is caught in idolatry, God says, they have been worshipping other gods, they have been found out, the matter has been investigated, and it is true, the person has been brought before the court, and they have been found to be guilty. That person shall not be convicted unless there is a testimony of at least two witnesses. And God goes on to say that if you are one of the witnesses, you would be the first one to throw a stone at this person. And the other witness would be the second person to throw a stone at that person. How easy is that? How easy is it to throw a stone with the intention of killing someone, of taking life? And are these words familiar about throwing a stone? They should be because we looked at them two weeks ago. Let him who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. So Jesus says, I'm not alone. The Father bears witness of me. In fact, we have seen the Father has bore witness of him. Matthew 3, 17. Matthew 17, verse 5. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus knows his descent and his destination. They do not. Jesus says his oneness with the Father guarantees right, true, just, timely, and perfect judgment. Jesus has the direct backing of the Father's witness. So they listen, and then they ask a question in verse 19. Where is your father? Or maybe, who is your father? As usual, they understand things in human terms, not in heavenly terms. You know what they're thinking about? They're thinking of his biological father. They're thinking of Joseph, also known as Jose. They're thinking of Jose. 
And the reason they are thinking of Joseph is so that they find a reason to accuse Jesus. You actually were born out of wedlock. You, Jesus, were born outside of marriage. So tell us, who is your father? Some people say, maybe they were confused, so they asked the question, who is their father? Mm, I, I'm not convinced of that. They knew exactly what they were doing. As usual, they were laying a trap for him to fall into, so they asked, who is your father? So they think in an earthly way, and they bring this up, so Jesus mentions Joseph, and they can be so scornful and ridicule Jesus for being born outside of marriage. You know, when the Bible tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who was tempted in all ways as we are tempted, yet without sin, it means it. Sometimes you may read those words and you may think, I don't think Jesus went through what I am going through. No, no way. This is unique to me. Is it? So imagine, for example, this situation. You may be a child, or you may know a child, or your parents, or whoever. Maybe they were born out of marriage, and they were being ridiculed. Who knows better than Jesus? Say you had been engaged to a woman or to a man, and then the man comes and tells you, not far from the wedding, oh, there's another woman, and she's pregnant with my child. Oh, or the girl comes and tells you, hey, I am pregnant. What is the first thing humanly any man or any woman would do? The engagement is off. Here comes a man called Joseph. Even in spite of all of this, takes Mary, marries Mary, covers Hashem, and raises the child. What do you think was going on in that society? What do you think the scribes are doing here? And they have done it at other times in the past. Everyone says, this is the child who was, even, even the father doesn't know who the child belongs to. Joseph must have had a big heart to be able to raise Jesus up in those circumstances. He must have had the faith and the muscle to be able to endure ridicule and hardships day in, day out. So who knows better what you're facing than the one person who has faced it all? Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus is long-suffering. Do you use one of those versions that has that word instead of patience? Long-suffering. Even reading it takes time. He's long-suffering with people, and he gives an accurate analysis of the darkness in human beings. He says, you don't know me, and you don't know my father. How so? Because if you knew me, you wouldn't be opposed to me. You may know about me. You may know I'm the son of Mary. I have these three, these four brothers, uh, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, my sisters. You know about me, but you don't know me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. That's what Jesus tells them. So you see, knowing Jesus means knowing the Father. Knowing the Father means knowing Jesus. When we come to John chapter 17, Jesus will explain what is eternal life in verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the true and living God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Inseparable. Then John gives a commentary in verse 20. He says, 
that Jesus spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and nobody laid their hands on Jesus. Why? Because his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. Think of everything that troubles you today. Think of it all. Then think of it with this perspective. That there is a right time for everything. So he says, my hour has not yet come. His hour to be glorified and exalted, to resurrect and ascend to heaven. So while there is this silence, Jesus returns to his origin and destination in verse 21. He says to them, I'm going my way and you shall seek me and you shall die in your sins and where I am going, you will not come. It's what he said in chapter 7. I will soon return home. You will physically search for me. You will never find me. I mean, we know the grave will be empty. They'll not be able to recover his body. And because you have rejected me, you cannot come. Their response as usual, verse 22, an earthly response. Will he kill himself? Is he going to commit suicide? Today, we are very sympathetic to people who commit suicide. Many of us. If you hear someone kill himself, you feel, you may even blame yourself. Did we not do enough? Did we not encourage the person enough? I, didn't, I should have gone when he sent the text message. I should, have, I should have walked alongside him. I should have spent more time with him. That's what we feel. You feel, I should have done something. But to the Jews, suicide was beneath contempt. It was absolutely detestable and absolutely abominable. The person who died by suicide went to hell directly. That's what they said, directly, and was cast to the worst part of hell. There is no worst parts of hell. Hell is hell. All of it is horrible, but it's some kind of an exaggeration to explain how they detested that person. They thought the person was cast and cast into the deepest parts of hell. Hence Jesus' response, you people are from beneath. You can't understand these things. If Jesus has not saved you, he's not in your life, he's not in your heart, some of these things you can't understand. It's nonsense. It's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the natural man does not understand the things of the spiritual person because they are spiritually disarmed. That the things of the Spirit of God, you have to be connected above. You have to have some kind of connection above. You know, many of you have connections to important people, right? You can take your phone and just make a phone call to someone and whatever situation there is resolved. You know someone above. I know someone high. I know someone important and so on and so forth. Jesus says to understand the things that belong to him, you have to be connected from above. Verse 23, I am from above, I am not of this world, but you people are from this world. Then Jesus repeats the shocking words, the bad news that he has given in verse 24. 
in verse 23, in verse 22, he has said three times, you shall die in your sins. Some people would like to tear out these words and say, Jesus, Jesus was, Jesus was a guy just of love. <laughs> you know how we understand love in our modern day? One of those words that has just been washed down. It doesn't carry its weight. Jesus was loving, he couldn't say this. Jesus says, you shall die in your sins. Shocking words, bad news. But he puts a disclaimer there. If you believe not that I am he, if you don't believe in me, you shall die in your sins. Enduring belief, faith in Jesus is the center of our Christian faith. Between just chapter 7 and chapter 8, the word belief is mentioned nine times. The disciples in Luke chapter 17 pray to Jesus, increase our faith. Faith as, as small as a mustard seed, Jesus says. Jesus asked the sick and lost, do you really believe I am able to do this? How many times have we come across that word, believe or faith in our life of Christ? What does Hebrews 11 verse 6 say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. When you reject Jesus, you are a walking corpse. You are a dead man walking. Because in him we live and we move and we have our being. With him, you are okay. Without him, you are emptiness and vanity in human form. So what he says, you shall die in your sins. Bible fact. If you don't believe in Jesus, you shall die in your sins. That is a promise. That is a fact. That is a reality. Whenever we go to present the good news of salvation, which many of us love, good news. Good news. First, we must present the bad news. If you go to someone and say, you have to be born again, the first question the person will ask is, why? Why? Why should I be born again? You must be saved. Why should I be saved? That's, that's the good news. It sounds good. I must be saved. Then the other question is, even this saved or born again, saved, saved from what? My life is okay. I'm, my, life is, my life is perfect. The bad news is, you shall die in your sins if you don't believe in Jesus. And so they said to him after listening, this is the second question, who are you? At the end of verse 24, not really at the end, but almost at the end, Jesus had said that I am. I am. And they ask, who are you? Surely by his words and by his works, they testify who he is. They knew who Jesus is. But to borrow Peter's words in um, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, they were willfully ignorant. So here is Jesus who is patient, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's long-suffering. He tells them in verse 25, if it was you, let me tell you, if it was you, who was Jesus? If it was me, who was Jesus? You would have done like Moses. 
why, why do I need to bother with you? Have your own life, have it your own way, do whatever you want, it's not my life anyway, I'm doing okay. Not Jesus. He repeats the same things, he tells them, Verse 25, even the same that I said to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. I speak to the world those things which I've heard of him. I am the Messiah. I have been sent by the Father. It's just a repetition of this and the other and the other and the other and the other. The same thing that he's been saying, he repeats over and over and over again. And they still don't get it. And even those of us who are seated here, many times we don't get it. How many times has Jesus retaught you a lesson? One time, two times, surely the third time I've gotten it, I have gotten it. You find yourself there the 10th time, the 15th time, when will I ever get this? We were looking at the pilgrim's progress, we still are with my children, and, and, and at some point Christian asks, when will I ever get it? When will I ever understand? He's just near to the celestial city now. And, and he just so reflects who I am as a Christian. You know, Christian, it's an allegory. Talks about our life in Christ. I don't get it. Oftentimes, many times. They didn't understand that he spoke to them concerning the Father, verse 27. So Jesus says to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, if you hear those words, maybe you would connect them to John chapter 3, maybe to Exodus 21. Jesus has been put on a cross and nailed, and they are lifting up the cross on top of a hill, overlooking the entire city, so everyone's eyes is on the man on the cross. The man on the cross. When you have lifted up the man of the cross, he removes the scales from your eyes. He removes the ignorance in your heart. He reveals who he is. And at his cross, he will be put on display before the world. And many people, us included, will say like the centurion, truly this was the son of God. This was the Son of God. Isn't that what they said after Peter preached in Acts chapter 2? You people, by the determinate counsel of God and foreknowledge of God, you have taken the Messiah and you have crucified him and you have killed him. You have nailed him on the cross. You are one source of salvation, you have killed him. And Peter preached that sermon by the power of the Holy Spirit and they were pricked in their hearts and they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Jesus and Peter told them to repent and believe for the promises to you and to your children now and forevermore. Even now after you have killed the Son of God, there is hope for you. And he testified and exhorted them with many other words. Some of the words were something like this. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That's what Peter told them. Save yourselves. I remember watching a movie. I think it was Ice Age. Well, that was years ago, and, and the, uh, one of the Ice Age anyway, and there was a part where a squirrel was chasing something, I think an acorn, and, uh, and, and uh, that squirrel is always chasing the acorn, isn't it? Anyway, at some point the squirrel goes to this world which is full of acorns, 
And he's so greedy. And someone meets him and says, eh, control yourself, or something like that. You may remember it better than me. But they are, this world, this world you're in, dear Squirrel, I don't know his name, but this world is full of acorns. You can have them all of your life. Control yourself. Of course, he doesn't. He brings everything crumbling down. And Jesus, Peter tells the people, save yourself, save yourself. So, verse 30. As Jesus spoke these words, many people believed in him. Question, question. Was this genuine faith or was it fake faith? Was it true belief? Amanda wants to answer. Or was it fake belief? What composes who a true believer is? How do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that you are headed to heaven? Ah, maybe you say you don't ask yourself that question. I do. I usually ask myself, is this, is this really true? I have put all my hope in my life on Jesus and in his word alone. This is, how can I believe something like this? There are billions of books in the world. Why this one? There are many people who have done good and amazing things. Why Jesus? Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really trust him? And Jesus explains and he says two things. First of all, belief is not enough. <gasps> really? Yes. Verse 30, verse 31. Yes, salvation begins there with believing. But without that, you have, you have nothing without belief. But also, believing in Jesus is not enough. It is not the end, that is the start. You know, someone says, how do I know I'm a Christian? I made the prayer. I made the prayer. The preacher came to me, preached, I kneeled down here, I made the prayer. That's just the beginning. That believing in Jesus. Jesus makes it clear in verse 32 and verse 31 that your salvation and my salvation is proved by perseverance. It is proved by endurance. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 12, seeing as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily entangle us. And let us run with what? Perseverance. The race that is set before us. Your version may say endurance. The race that is set before us. It is by enduring that we know we belong to Jesus. It is by continuing, by dwelling in Jesus' words that we know we are saved. It is by continuing to the very end. So, being Jesus' disciple is a lifelong pursuit that begins when you believe in Jesus, matures and flourishes when you continue in his word, is made certain by an experiential, continual knowledge of the truth and leads to freedom in Christ. That is my definition of discipleship. Long as it is, I feel it covers what I feel it should cover. So how do we know the many who believed were not genuine? Do you remember the first time you, was, you, you believed in Jesus? 
Do you remember? Mine was 5th September 2005 at 9.30 a.m. As a good Baptist, which I was before you recruited me to this position in 2018, you're supposed to know the date and the month. <laughs> anyway, some kind of a Baptist joke. The Baptists get it. So it was 5th September 2005 at 9.30 a.m. Do you remember the day where the Lord saved you? Do you remember then how you felt? You've, didn't you feel something like, I feel like I can take on anything that comes in my life. I feel like I am no longer living in this life as if I have translated from this life to an even better life. There was a joy and a happiness and, and a smile on your face and a desire to take this word to the rest of the world and tell them you have to believe in Jesus. You don't know the joy that he gives and the peace that he offers and the self-control he provides and the patience. Maybe you are even a street preacher. You took the Bible. Immediately you went and you said, you must believe in Jesus because you had found the living water, you had found the light of the world, you had found salvation. It was joy upon joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. Isn't that how it was the first days that you believed? Hebrews says you are willing to fight any fight that comes your way. Are you ready to kill me? Kill me now I go to the master. That's how you are those first days when you hear the message of salvation when genuine faith has come on you. That's how you respond brothers and sisters. Listen to their response. Verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. Eh, are those people truly believers? We are not slaves. They are proud of their freedom. But they are not proud of the salvation that Jesus brings, that offers freedom. Are these people really genuine believers? So Jesus tells them, verse 34, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin, and the servant does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Shall continue from there next Sunday. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.